like to welcome you out to another episode of the Lodestone Training and Consulting Podcast. This week, it's me, Jared Ross, with, with Abby that's Ross. Right. Like I said, it's it's fun doing these podcasts with you. It's so much fun just doing stuff with you. That's the nicest <laughs> thing I think about no longer being active duty or even in the military is getting to spend more time with you. Even though I'm on, we're on the road so much with uh, with LTAC, mm-hmm. still a lot of time away, but not like the the months <laughs> at a stretch. Yeah, that, that kind of stank. But anyways, we wouldn't want it any other way. A lot of growth mm-hmm. with both of us doing that. Anyways, all right. Now I'm all getting all misty and nostalgic and haven't started yet. Um, so what I was thinking about is I just was on air. I went to the grocery store for you and we getting a lot of stuff. And I bought a two pound block of cheese that cost $8. And that's crazy. Yeah. It's nuts. We used to get what cheese, those two pound blocks of cheese at Sam's Club for what, around $3? Mm-hmm. Just not too long ago, a couple years back. It's crazy how much inflation has has affected everything. I know we're feeling it. And I think, I mean, it was kind of like a slow creep for a while as people started to talk about it. But I would say in the last year to six months, I'm really noticing like everything has gone up yeah. in price. Yeah. yeah. First, there was the... Uh, shortages mm-hmm. but then now it's just yeah everything and i don't want to spend any time on the podcast really today as reasons why i mean there's all kinds of different reasons why but i just wanted to spend a little bit of time you know talking about the, the second and third order effects of that i know we're feeling it and all of our friends across the industry um whether it's gun shops manufacturers um other training companies, everyone is, is is feeling the effects of that. And I think everybody is, everyone is just about tapped out speaking generally, not, not individually, but everyone right now at this point, you know, they're, they're feeling it. People just don't have the the spare money that they used to have. Yeah. So now, I mean, us, as long with everybody else, what do we have to do now to be pick and choose be more selective with where, can we spend our money? Mm-hmm. I was just at the um, at Lanco, and some of those guys there were were talking um, just about grocery shopping and how the one guy said that his normal grocery shopping just being normal it used to be like seventy five maybe hundred bucks. Now he's like the last time he went it was two hundred and fifty dollars, and that's just yeah you know nuts. even just going to Walmart and. Uh like odds and ends that I would go, you know, like if I'm going and getting like shampoo and this and that and the other, I have a hard time getting out of Walmart with less than a hundred dollars. And that's not even grocery shopping. That's odds and ends, maybe like picking up something that we're missing for dinner or something like that. But I mean, where it used to be $50, I can't get out of there with almost never out with less than a hundred dollars. You know, it really wasn't my intent with this podcast today to talk about food storage and stuff, but Again, that's it is so wise to do the majority of your shopping the way we do, you know, with that window of the three month supply and 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 even the you know, longer stuff, so that when you do buy, if there is a sale, go ahead and and, and buy in bulk. Yeah. Um. I just saw uh something simple again at Walmart tuna packets. 
there was um we the boys you know for lunches and also for shoot for the partisan mres there's a lot of different flavored tuna packets and regular tuna packets and uh walmart was having a sale for them so we were buying not one or two but we were buying what whole what do you even call the it? little cases yeah like 24 yes. in a box cases yeah. Yeah, so we were buying those things up, and they they were on sale for like ninety nine cents a, a pop for a little while. When when I was in there today, they were a dollar twenty four as the normal price. So by buying forty eight at a time, you know that's something small. But and knowing it, that we're going to use them, yeah, yeah, in the long run, that's that's saving money. So that's that's just what we're at. So as a consequence of that, crime is on the increase. There's all crime has always been there, but now I'm hard pressed to think of not a day going by where we're reading about or seeing on the news how some flash mob at some big store, you know, ripping them off. That and all the way down to, you know, the small convenience stores that are getting robbed. I'd seen an article a few weeks ago talking about, um, I don't know what city it was in, but talking about pharmacies. And how there there's some pharmacies that in major cities that are changing the configuration of their stores where everything's behind the counter except for a few odds and ends um, and everything is you have to go up and ask for it and tell them what you want and they'll go back and get it mm-hmm. instead of having the sh- those shelves open to people because they were having such problems with people stealing What was the stuff. pharmacy that our uh, in-law used to work for? Rite Aid. Rite Aid? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... They're just shutting down stores in certain locations because the crime is is out of control. So they felt as a company, you know. They just couldn't viably keep the stores there. Yeah. Yeah. So crime's on the rise. So, you know, this is is real. I think it's more important now to be that much more vigilant and, and aware that this is real. It's it's not a game. And so now the likelihood, depending on where you live and what you do, the likelihood of of some kind of crime is 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 growing. I know, and we don't need to get into it because we've shared it plenty of times. But one of the major one of the major um, events in our married life was the home invasion when I wasn't there and you were, and because of that, it became very real to us. And we became very vigilant. We even, even though we'd made some changes beforehand, uh, we even made more afterwards. And that's why, you know, I've been so motivated to, to teach and to pass on information and, and training. So if and when an event like that happens in, in your life, you know, those of you listening, I want you to be as empowered as possible. But how long ago was that? That was what, 15, 16, uh, 17 years ago that that happened? Our third was an infant. It was like six months old. Okay. And he's 18 now. Okay. Yeah. So, so, so there you go. 17 and a half Yeah, 17 years, and a half years ago. ago. And that's, that's wild. So that made a big impact with us. But even with time, um, it's just normal and it's natural to, to become a little bit more complacent. And that's something that I know you and I, we've tried to to check each other and to make sure that we're not complacent that we're still being vigilant and doing the things that we need to do to be prepared and to be ready in case someone chooses to try to uh, enact violence upon us 
I recently, somebody sent me a video. And it was maybe Denmark. I know it's some Scandinavian country, I believe. I, I could be wrong. But the video is like someone sh- holding their cell phone and they're on a second or third story and they're looking out their window to, to their balcony. And here some guy is climbing up the ladder, coming up, and the guy's like telling him, who are you? What are you doing? Or, or whatever. And the guy's he's got a big old uh, kitchen knife and he's coming up. And the guy filming it was obviously in disbelief or he had lived such a sheltered, pampered life. His mind couldn't process that this man was a real threat. He really was climbing up. He really had a knife and he really was um, wanting to enact violence. So the guy wasn't even fast. He was kind of very slow and deliberate as he's climbing up and the guy's yelling at him, holding his phone, you know, filming it. And then you see the guy reach and get his knife and you saw, you know, the guy go to stab him and maybe he stabbed him. Sound like he, he, he hit. And uh, then the guy was was yelling more, holding the phone. He must have left the balcony, got inside and shut their glass door and um, screen door. So then you see the guy get in the balcony, tries to open the door, can't, picks up, I don't know if it was a brick or or some something hard, threw it once at the window, not the window, but at the sliding glass door, didn't break, threw it a second time, it shattered, and then the guy was coming in. And the whole time, this guy who I think he was stabbed, maybe he wasn't, I didn't watch the video much past that, but he was just still yelling and his, he hadn't been able to rationalize or come to the conclusion that this was real. This was really happening. This guy is trying to enact violence upon me and, and also my family who's there. Instead, he just thought if I yell or, you know, since this can't be happening, um, it's going to resolve itself. Instead of taking the time, because the guy's being slow, find something to defend yourself. I mean, that's why you have a gun, for goodness sake. But if the guy didn't have a gun, which I'm assuming he didn't, not in that country. I mean, You're pick, in your house. Pick, pick Go to the a, kitchen. Yeah, pick up a chair. Yeah, get another yeah. knife. Do, do something. Do something other than just stand there in disbelief and allow this person to, you know, to physically assault you. And uh, especially as a man, you know, who cares about me? I've got a wife and I've got kids I need to protect. So I'm going to be all over that individual, do everything I possibly can to protect my wife and kids. But it's just clear from from the clip that I saw that emotionally and intellectually, he was not prepared um, to to deal with that. And that was just just sad. And that's, you know, so many people are are like that. And even good people who who train and know how to shoot or know how to do things if they haven't experienced violence or if their training hasn't taken them to that point where now they're they're doing role playing and you're doing some kind of force on force whether it's you know with sim guns or with uh, airsoft or with UTMs or you know actually rolling actually doing doing hand to hand whether it's jujitsu or, or whatever if you haven't experienced that physical contact the physicality of it then mentally. You can be all, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm going to be able to rise to that occasion. But if you have never experienced that, it's, it's overwhelming. And you're going to be in that period of disbelief as it's happening. Um, it's just so important to, to get that training and to get, get your mind right. And, and even with training, I think you have to be careful because 
I think that even doing force on force training that you have to make sure that you're not sliding into like, this is fun and this is a Mm -hmm. game you have to work hard to, because you know, it hurts, but it only hurts so much and it can be easy to, to forget that you're, you're training and not just out there having a good time and having fun. I think it, you have to work hard to maintain that thinking about this, like this could happen. This, what would I do if this was actually happening? That's one of the things I really appreciate about you is you've, you've done force on force. You've also been an aggressor and been a role player on more than one occasion. And, uh, every time you've done it, you've, you've taken it pretty serious and you've given it all you got. I remember the one time when we were working with that sheriff's department and, um, since we were the location, since we were at the courthouse, we couldn't actually shoot, um, you know, airsoft or anything like that. But I remember once training was done, you could hardly talk because (laughs) you were yelling and screaming and really getting into that role. I think I think I had been assigned by whoever was running it to be someone who was hysterical. Yeah. Yeah. To get the the guys who were the officers who were training, you know, they're going to have to deal with that at some point. If there's a bad situation, someone's going to lose it. And so that was. I think that was why I was so hoarse because that was one of my, uh, my roles was yeah. the hysterical lady. You weren't there now. That one time there where, uh, and who was it? It doesn't matter. One of our kids, they were pretty young. So as the event was going down and uh, the one sheriff's deputy, she's like, Hey, over here, over here, it can be safe. And she did the right thing. She patted me down, but then she didn't pat down the kids. So we're all in a room and, uh, Things are going on and it's kind of chaotic outside, but she's like, oh, you guys will be safe in this room. And then um, one of our kids pulled out from underneath his shirt, a uh, simulated destructive device and started walking towards that sheriff's deputy, allowing her to, you know, to do something. And she was just, again, she wasn't there. She wasn't emotionally prepared. She wasn't mentally prepared. All she saw was in her mind, a little kid, but has obviously had a destructive device walking towards her. And she didn't know if she should grab her gun or hit the radio. She was trying to do both at the same time and couldn't do either. And then finally he just walked up to her and went boom. And, uh, she got kind of emotional, but she'll never forget that lesson that she learned. Yeah. Mm. So that's, that's, I guess, really one of the things that you guys listening, it's real. If it isn't already a part of your, your training, uh, doing some hand-to-hand certainly will help. Help give you that stress inoculation, help get you used to um, dealing with the reality that <clears throat> violence is there and someone is trying to, to enact violence on you. Uh, again, those of you listening to the podcast, this isn't anything new. Me saying that one of the best experiences I ever had uh, was growth was not the first real fight I got into where I protected my buddy, but the one a couple weeks after that where I thought I was hot stuff and I got beat down in, in, in high school. That was a, that was a great learning experience, humbling, but also realize that, you know, a fight is a fight and it's, yeah, you're not, not there to, to, to play around. So, you know, it's reality. <clears throat> One of the things that that we've done, and let's, we can talk about it um, now, talk about our old house, is 
I know we've alluded to or we've talked in the past that we've trained as a family, we've worked as a family, and that that's all true. I was just thinking that maybe now we could get a little bit more specific. So we're not going to talk about our plan or how we have our, our new home, our current home, um, set up or what our plan is here, but we can talk through our, our old house mm-hmm. and, and what we did there. So did we have fire drills? Yeah, we had fired. We did have fire drills and we also had uh, home invasion drills. Yeah. Okay. So we had a, even for the little ones, we had a plan because there were two staircases in that house, this old farmhouse. And uh, so there were two staircases and the bedrooms were kind of like weirdly split. Mm -hmm. Um, But they're all on the second story. They were all in the second story. And uh, so everyone had a job. I believe uh, everyone had a buddy. Mm-hmm. And then I know my job was to get the the little girls because they had their bedroom was kind of like a pass through bedroom. It was across the hall from ours. Um, so that was my responsibility. And I would get them and take them up to the attic. And that was our um, our rally point was the, the, the attic for for that particular house, the way it was laid out. If anyone was breaking in, unless there's some kind of super ninjas or it was, you know, something really crazy, they were obviously coming in on the first floor. So this house had a basement, had a uh, two regular floors, then had an attic, you know, so you can even say a third floor with the attic. So with all the bedrooms on the second floor, it made sense then for us that our point of egress or our point to, to rally would be the attic. So we had you know, drills and we had our, uh, as a family, we had the the word, the, the key word, the um, brevity code, that if anybody said that word, then didn't matter what was going on, you immediately then enacted the, the drill. And, you know, we practiced, okay, we're all in the kitchen and we need to go, so What's the best way to go? Okay, now we're all, say, again in the kitchen. But now, for whatever reason, the one staircase is blocked, so we need to go to the other staircase. Um, what if we are separated, you know, getting up to those staircases? So it was something then that, that we we practiced. And like you said, we have um, everyone had a buddy. Everyone had a responsibility. Everyone had a role. So as soon as that word was said, you know, I'm I'm going and I'm, I'm getting a firearm. Some of the the older boys were getting firearms. I believe you, not believe, but you were, were getting a firearm. Yes. And then we had points. Okay, this is where you're going to post yourself. This is going to be a, um, an area at, at the top of the steps on one side or the other, depending on yeah, circumstances. We, because we had the two sets of steps, we had mm-hmm. different people assigned to the top of each set of steps. So the steps that were furthest away from the steps leading to the attic once everyone was clear, that person would hang out for a second or two and then move. And then we had the other set of steps where the other people were posted up. And then um, just like you would in, with SUT or anything else, you know, as the last person goes, give them that, that tap, last man. Then they're going up the attic and then, uh, you know, last man. And then, you know, everyone is, is falling up, you know, falling back up to, to the attic. So for that particular house, it made the most strategic sense for that attic to be our, our safe room. Um, and one of the reasons why is because then if whoever that person was, our people were, 
if they were invading the house, breaking in, if they were bound and determined to uh, to try to get to us, then with us positioned in the attic with those steps, then they were channelized. So they had no place really to go or no place to hide, and then we could very easily uh, light them up at that point. We felt very justified. If they're that determined, then you bet we're going to we're gonna return fire. You bet we're going to, you know, at that point, take the fight to them. But then because it was the attic, and since it was an old farmhouse with wood, fairly, you know, say a lot different than modern houses, the wood was, was pretty sturdy and pretty thick. Yeah. It offered some ballistic protection, but, but not really not much. So we took the steps and the measures to harden it. We had ballistic protection on the floor. We had specific locations in the attic where we could go to where there would be um, ballistic protection from from both handguns as well as from from rifle rounds. So then as safe as we could be, as we'd fall back to that spot, then we could hunker down there and then we could... Uh, um, we, we had a phone that we kept up there, like a landline phone yeah. that kept, we kept up there if we needed it. We've had, we have ladders. Because yeah. the, the, the house was pretty, had straight-sided all the way up through the attic was straight-sided. So to get down from the attic, we would have had to have ladders. We also had... Um, what do you call it? Fire extinguishers. There you go. We had fire extinguishers placed all all throughout the house, in the kitchen, in the basement, different spots in on the main floor and the second floor, as well as up there. So granted, if they would really start to place on fire, we could fight it a little bit. And, and But if it got out of control again, we'd have the egress where, where you could get out. That's one thing that I I've learned not from firsthand experience, but learn from the mistake of others. That fallback point, you don't ever want it to be uh, uh, only one way in, one way out, because then you're, you're trapped. And then that other group, the other person, they can can just wait you out. You always want some means of of getting out, some means of, of, a, of a escape. So for us, you know, that was very real. So now that we're at a different house, we had to go through... Um, and evaluate the house and then go through the same process. So in principle, you know, we have the same type of a, of a plan, but the specifics of it are, are different because this is a different house and, and different uh, layout and different building materials and, yeah. and everything. But, you know, this is real. Um, that's just the world. That's where we're at. Mm-hmm. Uh, another thing then that I wanted to talk about and get into some detail is, again, you longtime listeners, you know uh, that we teach principles or we teach truths and then uh, techniques vary from circumstances and, and from place to place. And the smart person, the wise person will hold to those truths, but then be fluid and then adjust Techniques as they make sense. So with home defense, with you and I working, and now that we have children that are older and have been in a lot of training and and, um, are responsible, uh, then we've incorporated them into how to work together as a team and how to clear rooms. So the basic fundamentals or the basic principles of CQB of CQC, of room clearing, it doesn't matter really who you are. 
I mean, you can be a one five. You, you can be a um, can be SWAT team. You can be law enforcement. You can be, as in our case, a husband and wife. The inherent principles are the same, but how you apply those principles and how, how you apply those techniques are going to vary greatly. So I'm a big believer in points of domination. I'm a big believer in, in teaching four-man CQB. It makes a lot of sense in a lot of realms. But where it doesn't make sense is you know, you and in I. Home, yeah. yeah. Because even though the inherent principles are the same, you and I, if there's a home invasion, we're not going to be going room to room and in a systematic way clearing the house. The safest course of action for us is to get account of all of our kids and fall back to that safe room. And either they're at a better, more defendable position, protect ourselves, or in that place, then wait for for law enforcement to arrive. But also knowing that yeah, law enforcement might be 5, might 10, 15, while. 20, 30 minutes away. Yeah. And uh, if... Those people are bound and determined. Oh, we'll we'll hammer them, and we will uh, we will certainly protect ourselves. But it's important to understand those basic principles, those truths of room clearing. If you need to be going through the house, through the hallways, into the rooms, in order to get those children, in order to get those those people, and then protect them as you move them and help escort them to that safe room. So in that regard, it's it's important for everyone to understand those principles. But again, you and I working together on um, a lot of similarities, but it's different than, than teaching four-man CQB. Again, those techniques are different. But where certain principles are the same, it's, uh, you know, how do you move? If you're moving with a pistol, you should not move like the movies or television show with um your arms fully extended as you're walking it and looking and clearing and moving almost like a tank turn. Um, instead, you should be moving what we call position three. So it's underneath your chin at chest level. That allows you freedom so you can use your eyes and use your head. So it, it's free to move and to look and not made it up with or, or mirrored to that, that pistol at full extension. So in that case, if that's what you had to clear with, then that's the same. And what are you looking at when you're going up to that threshold or you're going up to that room? You want to see as much as you can from the outside. You want to, you know, observe the threshold, the archway, that that open door or, or closed door. See what you can see into that room. And if you have the time and the luxury, then you want to take your time. You want to be slow and deliberate. You want to pie it off. You want to slowly see what's in there. And by knowing how to pie, knowing how to do that, then especially if it's in your home, you should be able to see indicators before that threat inside that room sees you. So you are looking for, as, as you're in a very methodical, systematic way, you're at the threshold, looking through the the edge of that open doorway, and you're looking up and down, up and down, up and down as you're slowly moving to the right or to the left. And you're looking for that toe, that elbow, that shadow, that maybe the muzzle of a firearm. Or since it's your house, things that might be out of place. There should be a lamp there or a table there, but I can see that it's moved. Why is it moved? That's indicated then that there's somebody in there. So again, you're looking for all these indicators. Why are you being slow and methodical? That's the same thing as uh, as approaching the door, whether I'm doing it with uh, when I was in active or and, you know, same way that law enforcement should be approaching that door. At the same time, there's a time and place to go fast. If I'm coming up that door and I can hear one of my children's being assaulted, 
or there's something going on in there, then you bet I'm going to be in there as quickly as I can. And I'm going to be going in predetermined, especially if it's my home, I should know the layout. So I should know where the dresser is or the bed is or the bookshelf or the couch or whatever the table. So then I'll know beforehand as I'm entering the room, which way I'm going to go as I'm starting to move towards my point. You know, that's, that's the same, same. Um, but what's nice then is knowing how to work with, with somebody else, like you and I working together. Um, whether you're the first man in or I'm the first man in, knowing that that other person who has a level of training and that person that we've worked well enough together, we can both enter that room at the same time. And as we enter practically the same time, me being the first person in and me going to my my point or traveling to my point of domination, knowing that you're going to go the opposite direction, that is the safest way. Since we're affecting the OODA loop we're, um, of, of those potential threats, that's the safest way to work, you know, working together. And again, why is it important to know that? Well, because you know, life isn't a life isn't a box of roses. Um, we might have to make entry in order to save save our kids, but at the same time, we're not LARPing and we're not suggesting. I'm not suggesting that you should take down every room in that way. That's just to to locate and find those loved ones and then get them to that safe room. That's about the safest way to do it. Contrast that where you need to do a deliberate search, whether it's military or or in law enforcement. And then hopefully, again, it should be slow and methodical. When you're making an approach, the approach should be the same. I'm looking at the threshold. What indicators there? Is it open door or closed door? If it's closed door, where are the hinges? What does that tell me? That tells me which way the door is. Is it you know, a pull or a push door? Um if I can pie in there, then I can do the same thing. I'm looking up and down, up and down, up and down as I'm either going to the right or to the left. I'm trying to use to maximize the angles that are given, the distance that's given so I can see a little bit deeper. I can see a little bit better as I'm getting into that room. One of the nice things, though, about four-man when you're working in there and when you have to take down each room is then as you move in and do your points of domination, you have all that overlap. So if one person misses something, um, you've got that redundancy with that next person coming in, um, going the opposite direction, and then that third person coming in, following that, that first person. Everything is redundant, and you have that overlap. So to ensure that you can clear that room, you can dominate that room, protect and save any innocent people in there, and neutralize or eliminate whatever the threat might be that's in that room. So again, those principles are the same. It's just the techniques and the execution then are, are are different. I know when we teach CQB and we do it in a couple different manners, we do some LEO specific stuff or we do have done open enrollment. We like to teach going in fast. We like to teach and we want the students to go in very dynamic, get in that room, get in the room quickly because it's a lot easier by teaching people how to go in together quick once they learn how to do that, it is so much easier to then slow it down um, and have them slow it down and be methodical about it. It's very difficult from my experience to do it the other way around, to teach someone a very slow and methodical approach and then try to get them to, uh, to turn it on when it's, when it's time to be uh, dynamic. To speed it up. Yeah, yeah, when you need to get in there. And that's, and that's something, again, that with the way we teach and why we're so heavy on teaching those principles. And so then on the fly and in that moment, then um, 
when it counts, you can make that determination. There's no cookie-cut answer. There is none. You need to understand those truths so then you can tailor it to uh, to what makes the most sense as the event is unfolding, whether it is a home invasion or whether it is you know, something else in the professional world. That's something that I, I, I can't emphasize en- enough. And that's one of the problems that, that I see out there and that I've run into in, in training scars that we've tried to help is uh, whether it's all they do in law enforcement side is slow and deliberate, slow and deliberate. Well, then we'll create that situation where they got to go fast and they can't go fast. So then the situation becomes worse. Or people who um, they want to learn and then they uh, learn four-man CQB, but then we'll put in, in a scenario where it doesn't make sense. So then they get hung up and they start making mistakes when you know it's a domestic thing, when it's a home invasion um, scenario that, that we put them in. You just have to be smart about it. Another thing that that stinks that we both have experienced in training is is doing it by yourself. That is one of the sketchiest things that you might find yourself into. Shoot, you you in a sense you, you did it for real <laughs> with that home invasion where I wasn't there and you had to uh, get out of that room and go clear down that hallway with the shotgun you know by yourself. That's that's not fun for anybody. No. <laughs> Uh, man. But I guess one of the reasons why this is what I'm thinking about and, and why I wanted to talk about this is, you know, go back to the beginning. Things are getting uh, desperate, I guess, from lack of a better word. Things are getting desperate out there. People are getting desperate and crime is on the rise. And more and more people are just taking the attitude, well, I don't have it, but I want it, so I'm going to go take it. So I, I talked about getting up to that threshold, moving up towards that door. Um, and a little bit more about that. As you're moving up, some of the standard things is you don't want to be right up against the wall. You don't want to bump the wall, drag anything to give indicators that you're there and that you're getting ready to make entry. Um, and I also talked about you know being deliberate if you can and pie. But once you cross that threshold, once your toe, muzzle of your firearm, head, whatever, once you have breached or got into the threshold of that door, the safest thing for everyone involved is for you to quickly move towards your point of domination. So as you're moving into that room, your feet should be moving the direction of travel. Your feet should be pointed towards that that corner where you're going to be going. Um, a mistake that a lot of people make is they're amped up and they're nervous. That's normal. They're concerned. That's normal. They don't want to be injured or shot. That's normal too. But what they'll do then is as soon as they get to that threshold, they'll pause. Or maybe they'll take a half step and just barely start to enter the room. And then they'll pause. And... It's normal for people to to look down, almost looking down at a 45-degree angle. What they're doing is they're subconsciously trying to use their peripheral vision to observe and see everything in that room. And you can't do it. What you're effectively doing then is you're getting into that room, just barely getting there, and then you're pausing. So any threat that is in that room, they're already focused towards that door. Or if they're not, they, they quickly will be. And with you not moving, now it's much easier for them to 
focus on you, get shots, and, and, and whatnot. So one of those fundamental truths, one of those core principles is once you make the decision to get into that room, you need to move into that room. You need to move along the wall as best you can with you know the real world with furniture and other stuff that might be an obstacle or might be in the way. But as best as you can, you need to move towards that your point, towards that corner. And if it's a uh, corner-fed room, that means going straight down that that wall um, to that first first corner in the room. If it's a center-fed room, then you usually want to go two corners deep into that room. You don't want to go diagonally across the the middle of the room, but you want to hug those corners. I mean, hug those uh, hug those walls. And one of the things that this is doing is by you staying close to the walls, that means all the threats then should be to your one side, should be towards the center of the room. This makes sense then if you're by yourself, so it's easier for you um, to orient yourself towards that threat. Or if you're lucky enough to be working with a partner, by you staying close to that wall and moving towards your point while your partner is going the opposite direction, hugging the wall, then again, that frees the middle of that room up for you to engage that threat if, if necessary. So once you make entry into that room, let me back up just a second. Prior to making entry to that room, you need to know this is where I'm going to go. I'm going to go that path of least resistance. Or I'm going to go to that unknown. Me, I like going the path of least resistance for a myriad of reasons. But that's a technique. That's not a cold, hard principle. But the principle is, once I've determined I need to get in that room, you need to move. You need to get in there. Or if you, like I said earlier, if you breach that threshold, if you cross that that line or that doorway with your foot, with your head, with the muzzle of your weapon, then the safest thing is for you to move and to get in there. And now while your feet are pointed towards the corner that you're going or the direction of travel, and if you're carrying your pistol, it should be in a ready position, meaning it should be back at position three underneath your chin at chest level. Or if you're carrying a rifle, a low ready, high ready, the press muzzle, there's a lot of different ones. Personally, I generally go to what's called the high ready. So the weapon is, my rifle is up. The butt is tucked underneath my uh, elbow, in between my elbow and, and the side, and, and the barrel's up. So I'm not entering that room with the weapon extended. With me, like you see in so many movies um, and TV, and well-intending people who just don't know any better, I'm not trying to clear that room and look through that glorified toilet paper tube that's my sights, whether it's EOTech, Aimpoint, or whatever. Um, I'm not trying to clear looking through that toilet paper tube with that weapon in that ready position. Now that frees my eyes and my head to move and to process and to see that room. So I can effectively visually clear that room as soon as I make entry into that room. It'll only take me a half a step at the most, depending on the size of the room and other stuff, maybe one step until I can see and clear and process that room. But at any point as I'm moving, and if I see a threat and I positively identify a threat, I am still going to keep moving towards my point, but then I'll be able to snap that gun, drive that gun to where my eyes are already locked onto that threat, drive those sights to where my eyes are already locked on, and then go ahead and engage that threat while moving again to, to my point.
So some of these basic truths on the, these principles that are so essential to you know to learn and to get good reps on. That's why um, we have organized our our classes the way they are. With our marksmanship classes, we're teaching what? Teaching you where to put a hole in that piece of paper. You want to put that hole wherever, wherever you want. And after you've learned to put those holes where you want, then starting the level two, that's when we start getting a movement. That's where we start driving that gun. And you know, eyes, head, body, gun. Eyes, head, body, gun. Your eyes see it. Your head turns towards it. Your body, if you need to, then you're driving that gun from that ready position to get good hits on target. It all translates to the real world, whether you're working around a vehicle or, in this case, you're working in your home or in some kind of a built-up place. It's important that all that training at the flat range drives to success and safety you know, in the real world. I'm just thankful that, uh, and thinking about all this, that we have had the opportunity to, not only have we spent plenty of time on the flat range, um, not enough, we need to spend more, always need to go back to the flat range, but that you and I have been able to work together as a husband and wife, as, as partners in training, whether it's us running through the house ourselves or, you know, with various um, role-playing that we've done or, uh, or some, you know, force-on-force training that, uh, that we've done. What's your experience been like doing some of those classes? Um, just recently, it wasn't CQB, but doing a force-on-force class a few weeks ago, it really just cemented the the ability to as you do it repetitively getting better at it and things that I saw myself like not doing the first few times I would do CQ or force on force or whatever mm-hmm. that as you do it more and more then I mean, that's all it is, right? It's training. The more you do it, the more, the little things, the basics become more natural and you're able to focus on other things and make sure that you're getting other things done properly. And that's for you. That's, that's translated to, to improved classes that that you teach. A good example is, um, your four women EDC class. Mm -hmm. So you spent after that event (laughs) that, that we had, what, 18 years now, man, 17 years ago, that that's, getting old babe i know we're getting old um you kind of carried before that but then you started carrying all the time after that consistently and then you evolved what made more sense um what better ways to carry better firearms you know that that you uh that made that work better for you yes and then you got to that point where okay now you're comfortable enough you've been doing it long enough you certainly had experience in, in something to say so you started teaching this full women EDC class. And it, I thought your product was, was pretty darn good because you've had experience of being a real woman, you know, being a mother, um, having little kids, having older kids. How does that all play as I'm carrying a, you know, a diaper bag with, with carrying um, concealed? How did you, how did you con- um, carry concealed? All those things. But then once you started doing the force on force, that was a whole nother layer of what was practical and what was real and just improved then what you're able to, to pass on and, and, and share. And just others. taking, taking other classes and just getting more experience and really just getting more experience and learning what works better. 
you remember that? Um, what was the course we were teaching? It was to a bunch of law enforcement. It was um, officer response to active shooter. I think is the name of the course. So the one, one of the culminating exercises we did is we had the house, the shoot house all set up. And we had role players inside who were innocent. We had, I think, two shooters who were bad guys. And then the way that we did it is we sent in one law enforcement officer at a time. I think every 30 seconds we sent in another one in there, into the mix, and we sent them in from different locations. To, to simulate different people, different teams showing up to yeah, an incident. To yeah, to responding. And um, so that's what we told them. But what we didn't tell them was that one of the role players, you was a valid concealed carry holder and that uh, no one was going to hurt your kids. So you were also in play trying to go after those, uh, those bad guys. And I knew that you were going to get shot up. I knew as soon as the LEOs would turn the corner and see you with your pistol out, um, that they were going to tag you. But did, did you get shot in that one? I didn't. I, I was pretty surprised. I, I was amazed. But what was even better was, uh, was when you saw your boy who was one of the bad guys and you lit that kid up. <laughs> I don't think that there are any police officers even in there yet. No, no. You just like we're playing our roles. Yeah, that's right. There's my boy. He's a bad guy. I'm shooting him. Oh, that was I was laughing pretty hard up in, up in the catwalk. That was funny. That was a good time. Well, we're pretty excited. Um, we now are just getting our hands into a new location. Um, maybe we've mentioned it once or twice on the podcast. Maybe not. Um, things are slowly evolving. But at this location, we're going to be able to do all kinds of, of force on force with CQB, with urban movement, um, multiple buildings, multiple story buildings, open spaces, tunnel systems, um, all kinds of stuff. So we've been helping and working towards getting to um, getting this place secure. So don't be looking for any classes. Shoot, probably not this year because there's still a lot of work that needs to be done there. But uh, starting next year, we're going to be able to hold all kinds of, of force on force and all kinds of, of good room clearing there for all sorts of circumstances. Like we said, like really it's the most personal to us being able to do stuff for individuals and for couples, single man, as well as working as a partner doing room clearing in case of that home invasion. Um, we're going to be able to do LEO and four man work there. But also what's really cool is this place has a full on um, chapel. Yeah. Little chapel chapel with, I don't know how many pews, 20, 30 probably, pews. I would say probably 20 rows. Okay. Yeah. And, and set up. So those of you who are with your church, uh, you know, on your church security team, or if you're concerned, then we're going to be able to use this place and be able to run open enrollment as well as for specific private uh, church groups, we'll be able to run church security scenarios. And, you know, I'm really looking forward to that. We have done a lot of work, some volunteers, some, you know, some paid consulting. Um, and the one thing that they want to do is they want to run scenarios, but they well, can't do it in you, their church. Exactly. Yeah. You can't go to their sanctum and, and do it. Um, but now 
with this location, we're, we're going to be able to do that. Really look forward to, to helping out there. So I really am looking forward to to that location. But this year, when is it? Is it November? Yes. It's like the, the 9th or the 11th, I want to say. Okay. We do have a three-day uh, LEO CQC class where, again, it's it's not for SWAT, though individual officers can attend, but it is open enrollment for LEOs. And we go through single man, two man. Um, we're going to talk about responding to that active shooter, good principles, and then we will get into to four man um, work. Again, just giving that information so things you you can take back, giving you guys more experience, another tool, um, and then we we're going to have some fun, some good scenario based work that we'll be doing, and that's going to be that'll be myself and Dark Chris and Flynn. So the three of us should be the primary. You know, we'll be the ones running that one, and that that's going to be a good class. I think right now we're about half filled. So we still have a few more slots. Yeah, there's uh, still some slots left. You know, left available for that. We're really looking forward to that. You know, another thing that that we do, again, principles, truths, um, is operating in and around vehicles. Um, so it doesn't matter if it's me or if it's you going to Walmart. Um, there are basic truths and things that we do. So how how do you approach? Working in and around a vehicle. Um, for the most part, just trying to be aware. Now, you know, being in a vehicle makes it easier because you've got all your mirrors. So that helps to, you know, just be able to focus and see what's going on around you. Um, and then with, with the kids, you know, up until a few years ago, Almost everywhere I went, I had the kids with me. You know, it wasn't until they started getting old enough to manage themselves at home and stuff like that. Um, So getting in and out of the car was, it was, you know, we've, we've had big vehicles since we had started having kids almost, almost immediately we got, we had the twins and then we got uh, an SUV. So big vehicles have always been kind of helpful. One of the things that always made me nervous was driving one of our little, you know, we've had some little beater cars and then, uh, so just being able to focus and be aware of surroundings, especially in a parking lot, those little beater cars I hated because I had to bend down in to put the kids in seat belts or put the kids in boosters or car seats or whatever. And I, I always hated that. It was always nice to have put the kids up and I could still stay up with my head up and be able to, to look around the parking lot and be aware of the people that were around me or the other vehicles that were around me. I know one thing that, and it's just a product of, of who we are in in our situation with me being in the military a lot of that's rubbed off on you. And then with our personal experiences where we've had, uh, you know, uh, that home invasion as well as a couple other attempts um, when we were newly married. We treat and you treat going to the store isn't just a, uh, you know, I'm you're switching off and you're not thinking about anything. It's, it's, it's a mission and treating it like a mission. 
And, you know, you, you have that, that checklist of, of things that you do, things that I do, um, to now it's just sick, second nature. Um, you do things that you don't even realize anymore because it's just who you are. It's just who we've become to keep situational awareness, to, to look. You probably had to stop and think, what do I do? <laughs> because it's just so a part of who you are by, by keeping your head up. And, and by being observant, by looking and not just like glancing around, but in a systematic way, you know, looking in different uh, rings or layers, what's close, what's beyond that, what's beyond that as you're looking and observing. So you carry. Yes. How do you carry when you're in the car? Usually I carry either in my purse or on my body when I'm out and about. How often? You're not carrying much in your purse anymore, though, are you? Sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's another important thing, too, with those vehicles. Because I know a lot of people, let me rephrase that. There are people who, they've got the pistol, they've got their carry permit, but they've wedged it in between their seats and the friction will keep it there. But it needs to be secured. It needs to be in a holster, whether it's on your person, which I think is preferable, um, or your purse. And how do you carry your purse? You don't have it just on one shoulder. You're carrying the purse. Usually cross-body. Cross-body, so much harder to get yanked from you. But if you're in an accident or hit, that pistol can fly. But if it's secured in that holster um, on your body or like as you carry your purse, then it's going to stay there. What have you done with the kids? Have you taught the kids? Uh, there's a lot of buddy system stuff that goes on. You know, our our main vehicle, if I have, you know, most of the kids is our van. So all the kids are getting in and out of one side and I'm getting out of the other as the driver often. So um, usually I'm relying on buddies until I can get around and make sure everybody's there. Mm -hmm. Um, I do still often with our younger ones, if it's just them, I'll just have them climb over the driver's seat (laughs) so that they're getting out with me. Instead of them getting out on the opposite side of the vehicle from mm-hmm. me. So I'll just have them. They're still small enough. It's easy for them to just climb over the seat. So I just say, just come out my door and or even go in my door sometimes just because it's I have more control. I can see better where they're at and they're not going around this massive vehicle and they're on the other side of the vehicle for me. Or if I have if we're putting groceries or something in, then I'm going around with them on the other side. But. But. Especially with, you know, having the older kids and having a buddy system, it's nice because they're they're they've learned to be aware and pay attention. And so it's more eyes on the little ones. Mm-hmm. So. How many times? How many times now have you had one of the kids like spot something? Hey, that's out of the ordinary. That's yeah. how they ordinary. I mean, happens yeah. when I'm with them. And they're honestly, they're probably better at it because they've grown up with it. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't want it any other way. Bad things can still happen to us. Um, they have in the past. Who knows what the future might hold. But man, it is nice to know that your kids have half a clue. They're still kids. Yeah. <laughs> They're still going to be silly. Um, but at least they have half a clue. They're, they're not walking around thinking that everybody's their friend. <laughs> yeah. I mean, our kids are pretty friendly. A lot of them are pretty open. and uh, But they're... They don't have their heads stuck in the sand. They're paying attention. Yeah. So I guess to start closing out this week's podcast, I want to say that you, know, with your family, 
with your your friends, with your children, with your group, with whatever, shoot, with your department, with your, your partner, whatever, that training needs to be constant, needs to be consistent. I'm a big believer that you need to keep going back to those fundamentals, to those those basics. So the eight fundamentals of shooting, it's important to keep refreshing those and and, and working on those. But they also need to make sure that you're you're training with with your people, with your family. And that, that's the same with us. Is we you know, when they were little, it was games. And now we're we're doing full on uh, you know, I guess scenarios in the house, fire drills. Um, but also just the other day, one of the few days that we had a, a couple of of free days, free time, and my my boys. My oldest boys, they had off from work. So what did I do? Hey, we've got time. All right, we're, we're going out. We're going to practice some SUT, just to, just the my boys and myself. So we went out there and just went through basics, walking, patrolling, hand and arm signals, um, walking in the dark, walking in the dark without nods. Um, and it's important. We're, we're bonding. We're, we're having fun. Um but we're learning from each other and getting good experience. Uh, we were out there, the four of us, and I forget what time it was. It was certainly dark. The moon hadn't come up yet, so maybe like 9, 30, 10 o'clock. And we were going to wait until the moon rose to give us more loom. So then they were going to move some more. So we're um, pretty close, pretty tight together and uh, waiting. And then I, I glance up and through the trees, there's an opening and then what did I see? One, and then two, and then three, and then four, and then a huge line of these unblinking um, satellites, like just a, a giant line. Like, what the heck is that? Now, I knew, um, never seen before, but I knew that it was uh, Elon Musk's Starlink Starlink, you know, satellites. So I'm looking at this like, huge train of, of lights, like, boys, look at that. So they all looked up like, whoa, what's going on? And then... Uh, just at that moment, my phone goes off and there's a text from our instructor internal thing. And uh, one of the instructors texted, hey, to, to another guy who lives close to him, did you hear that explosion? What's going on? And I thought, oh, that's it. The aliens are coming. <laughs> it's it, it's kicked off. It started. Um, just watching those, uh, watching those, that, oh, I guess like snake or whatever you want to call it, of uh, satellites just go across the sky. It turns out it was um, what they heard on the other side of the state was, uh, I guess, a meteorite that hit. Yeah, I don't know if it hit, but it definitely exploded. Okay. Yeah, um, a couple people uh, saw by Glen Rock. Okay. Yeah, um, it's pretty wild. But um, so that's something that you know we practice what we preach. We get out there and we train and we work and work as a team. Um, you gotta be. Here I'm bringing up for the first time that that light fighter concept that we keep preaching. Got to be independent and got to know how to um, be an asset. Got to be well rounded, and then once you start learning those individual skills, now you got to be working with your team, and uh, it's pretty reassuring to uh, to have that kind of uh, that bond and and knowing that other people are dependable. You know, maybe tonight, it's been a little while, maybe uh, 
close to bedtime. Maybe we'll have a, a fire drill. Fire drill. Yeah, we haven't done one in a little while. And watch those kids uh, do their thing. Well, thank you guys for listening. I hope that we were able to give you some information and give you guys something to think about and motivate you guys to, to practice and practice. Walk through your house. If you don't have a, a plan, set up a plan. Where's a good fallback point? What would make a good safe room? What are your deficiencies that you need in order to uh, prepare your home? What are those core principles that you need to focus on so that you can be more well-rounded, so that you can can flow with whatever life or threats uh, throw at you? Really appreciate you guys. And I'm really excited for what the future holds for, for Lodestone. I'm looking forward to the Life Fighter Challenge. That's coming up in about, what, six weeks? Yeah, about. Yeah. Um, can't wait to see you guys out there. If you haven't signed up or you're, you're thinking about it, you're not sure, do it. You will not regret it. There's going to be a lot of people out there. Going to be a lot of vendors, all sorts of activities, lots of fun. And it'll be a good opportunity to push yourself. If you, for whatever reason, can't or you don't want to or you're not ready to, you think, this year, come show up anyways. You don't have to participate. There's going to be some side events that you will be able to participate on. There's going to be prizes there for people to win as well. It's going to be a good time. And we uh, we look forward to it. All right. Thank you, babe. Thank you for, uh, for all that you do. Thank you for uh, <laughs> making this company work. Um, we couldn't do it without you. I couldn't do it without you. And uh, you all stay safe. We'll talk to you next time. Damn right, you know. Hey, look, I made a mistake. Damn right, you made a mistake.